Good day, everybody. This is Scott, your host of Cue the Smoke. My co-host, Tom, in the UK is currently at work, so we apologize for not having Tom on the podcast today. And today, I'd like to introduce a pillar of the Midwestern soccer community. Um, most of you know who I'm talking about, Mr. Peter Wilt. Welcome to the show, Peter. My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me on. This is this, great. Uh, this is really exciting because um, I've only been doing this podcast for like six months now, and uh, my son's a soccer player. I played soccer all the way through high school. I did some soccer when I was in the army. Um, so we've started to embrace the soccer life. All my son wants to do is play soccer. So it led to living in Indianapolis, obviously going to Indy 11 games because of the proximity, the cost. It was just family friendly. We're now season ticket holders. Um, that's how this podcast kind of grew organically. And then more that I start going into the nooks and crannies of the USL, uh, Nisa, I saw Drew Connor because he played here. He's all over the place talking about Chicago house. And I'm like, let me start putting all these dots together. And the common denominator is the name Peter Wilt. It's, it's the common denominator when you start talking Midwestern soccer, Chicago Fire, Chicago House AC, Indy 11. I could go on and on. And then the interesting fact is Schlaps. And did I say that correctly? Did. It's a hybrid of Schlitz and Pat. <laughs> and I go back to my days. I'm originally from New England. So I remember uh, my dad and my uncle would sit around like on Sundays and we'd have big family gatherings and they would drink Schlitz or they would drink Paps, Paps Blue Ribbon. And, and it kind of brings me back to that youthful childhood of remembering my dad and my uncle sitting around drinking beers. Real quickly, how did I read it? But how did that happen? Did you just mix the two? Yeah, so I was at a soccer bar. This I can probably tell you the date. I think it was August 28th of no, wait a minute. Now, if you can do that, you and Greg Rakestraw have a common denominator. That guy can pull dates and data out of his mind without paperwork, and it's amazing. But go ahead. He, I'm sorry. He's better than me. at that. <laughs> This was a monumental day. So I, I remember it. I was sitting at a bar, a soccer bar, uh, probably 630 in the morning in Milwaukee. Uh, my my go to uh, soccer bar there called the Highbury Pub. Okay. Probably for an Arsenal match. But honestly, I don't remember. I'm not an Arsenal supporter, but I love this pub and I love the people and uh, I love the bartender. Her name is Robin. And I ordered my usual paps, even though it's 630 in the morning, you know, start drinking in the morning <laughs> That's you can't okay. drink all day. Well, you're a soccer <laughs> fan. I think we all have our vices somewhere early in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I ordered a paps and uh, Robin bent down in the cooler where they keep uh, the inexpensive beers and reached for the paps. And then as she's reaching down, I remembered, I said, oh, wait. They just brought Schlitz back with a, the, the original formula. Right, right, right. Said, yeah. I said, yeah, make it a Schlitz. She said, okay. So she started reaching for the Schlitz. I said, no, no, let's go with the Paps. That's, I, I waffled back and forth a few times. She finally said, make up your mind. And I said, give them both to me. You're kidding me. Can't decide. She said, in the same glass? I said, yes. <laughs> And Robin is the one that decided by chance, I guess, that Schlitz went on the bottom. Paps goes on top. It's Milwaukee's black and tan. It kind of became a thing that day. Other people saw me drinking it and they ordered it. And it's obviously a bit of a joke since they taste pretty similarly. <laughs> they don't float. 
Sometimes the, they're poured over a spoon. Oh, like that's Guinness, classic. But it's it, 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 it not. Um, the Milwaukee black and tan. When I saw that, I chuckled because that was my my guilt for a while was doing a black and tan. And I love those with a steak or something, but it's the real black and tan. So I've got to make it a point to try at least try it once and see what it's like. You know, it's gotten a life of its own over the years. We've held Schlapp's Fest. We've had Schlapp's merchandise. It's got hats, a website. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, a facebook page for it yep. <laughs> and, and we actually made chapstick up that we dubbed slapstick oh, that's 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 hilarious but i think it, it's funny because that leads into i mean what you do with soccer what look what you seriously you are you're a soccer fan we know that you're a soccer fanatic you took your love for the game and turned it into a living yeah. Yeah. I've been very fortunate. There's no doubt about it. I've, you know, looking back on it now, it's kind of remarkable because I, I didn't set out to start all these teams. I, it just, it just kind of happened. Um, I actually started out in minor league hockey. You know, I was a baseball usher at Milwaukee County Stadium while I was in college as a <laughs> sports writer for a wire service. Uh, I went to my first pro soccer game in 1981 and it was to this day, it's probably the greatest game I've ever been to or most exciting game anyways, it was a sting in Cosmos and there's a six, five final in overtime. <laughs> that's, that's exciting. So, and wasn't that during the baseball strike? Didn't that happen? Because you just, some, I read something, it was during the, yeah. the major league baseball strike. And it was, cause I was going to school in Milwaukee and going down to Chicago every weekend to see baseball games. And this particular weekend, there's no baseball because of the 1981 baseball strike. And I still wanted to go to Chicago and I went and looked for something to do. And Wrigley Field was uh, home of the Sting uh, and uh, they played the Cosmos. Sold out crowd. You know, one of the few sellouts the Sting ever had. It may be the, now that I think about it, I think it was the only sellout in the history of the Chicago Sting. And I was there. there. It was the best game ever. And for my first one, and, you know, 19, 40 years later, <laughs> I haven't seen a better game. <laughs> That's incredible. But but your history, I mean, if people just basically, it's simple. If you look up, you just type your name and you start looking at the history of soccer in the Midwest, what you've touched, what you've birthed, what you've grown. I, I think in general, any fan of soccer would thank you and owe you a little bit of gratitude because Let's face it, the U.S. is not the hotbed of soccer. We're getting better, I think, um, at what we're doing. There's still some uh, disjointed clubs that it's it's a smattering. I think you get a smattering of everything where the European model, and I think that's where Nice is kind of cool because the European model is a community-based soccer club you could have this little tiny nothing soccer club, let's say in England, they win enough games, they start promoting through the ranks. And before you know it, they could be sitting in a Premier League, you know, table versus where the US, I don't think has, finally, has figured that one out yet. Um, it'd yeah, be nice yeah. to see well, that's that. Where Nisa's, that's where Nisa comes in. It's a, you know, I also started Nisa. I know. And <laughs> yeah. Was with the auspices of creating a structure that reflects 
the structure of the rest of the world, an open system. And I, I do think that might be a missing ingredient for American soccer is an open system. And not that it's a cure-all for all the ills of American soccer, but it's more of a pure form of the sport, more authentic. And um, I think it can provide an environment that incentivizes investment in the sport and can make the sport more exciting at the bottom of the table or at the top of the table for the lower divisions and the bottom of the table for lower divisions. Uh, and and a, I don't know, I'll say more egalitarian in that it's, it promotes uh, fan ownership. It promotes owners, team owners owning the league. And it's also against territorial exclusivity. Yeah, you don't always want to be proponent of the negative, but right. um, territorial exclusivity takes away rivalries, man. I, I tell you, London's the obvious one. There's a dozen pro soccer oh, yeah. teams in London, and the rivalries of Arsenal and Spurs are yeah. Well, we just finished up our rivalry Saturday night against Louisville. And you're, uh, you know... I don't know, two hours away from Louisville or whatever. Yeah. And, and that's a big, you know, what if you had two or three teams in Indianapolis, you know, or oh, what if Chicago had, had three or four teams? Buenos Aires has 18 pro soccer teams. I'm not saying American <laughs> cities can support 18 teams. Obviously we have other sports and, right, you know, interest in, in this country that aren't comparable, but not allowing um, except by purchasing and, and the idea of, of buying the rights to a market yeah like I, MLS and USL has there's something ugly about that you know especially when the owners of the league aren't the team owners or the fans you know so Nice is you know it's an idealistic league um not that it doesn't have problem with its own we, we do there's certainly a lot of growing pains uh, as any young league will have, but I'm enjoying this and I've, I've enjoyed my whole career. I mean, it's, it's been fun. And my, I gotta say my years in Indianapolis where you're based or, um, some of the best of my career, the, the way we did it, the people I did it with both on the staff and more importantly in the community, you know, the fans, you know, you know Josh Mason, who's now, you know, gone to the dark side as a narc in the front office. <laughs> was, you know, I, I hope people haven't forgotten where he, he started. Oh, he hasn't forgotten where he started. Come on, Josh. No, and Josh is, and, and it's so funny, Josh has been very supportive of this podcast, very supportive of what I've done. He is a big community involvement, you know, fan involvement guy. And I think what he does as in the FO at ND11, but he provides that, liaison between the fans mm -hmm. and the front office and, and that's what is so cool about um the team here because the access to the players the access to the team is there um they do a lot of things for the community but um my son he's a u13 keeper so he has latched on to jordan Farr. that is his guy and jordan is probably from my perspective one of the classiest professional athletes that you will ever meet. He never, um, he always says soccer's temporary and, and he gets it. He understands what life is about. It's not, you know, and, and to see some of the things that the casual fan never sees. The other night when we played Louisville, one of their players went down injured, got taken off the field on a stretcher. 
and he's probably went to the hospital. I think he gashed his leg pretty good when we scored. After the game was over, my son turned around. We saw Jordan, kind of gave him a thumbs up, high five. But before Jordan left the field, he walked over to that ambulance to make sure that player was okay. And you don't see that a whole lot. The cameras weren't on him. You know, he didn't do it because people were there. He did it because that's Jordan. And that's what's so cool about that. And and I think that's so cool about the lower tables or the lower leagues, because when you can have that type of community involvement and buy-in from the community, you're golden versus the MLS guys, you'll never meet, you'll never get to walk on the field. You know, they won't, you know, they'll come over and they'll clap and say, thank you very much. But, you know, it's, and I think with Nisa, you're kind of, what's interesting is, and maybe, you know, you can expound on this, the pathway from youth to professional soccer in this country is broke um, compared to what the European model is with their academies. Um, you have very few routes to get to the next level. And it's a very, uh, it's a channeled route where I think a lot of teams need to take maybe a step back and say, okay, how do we develop community involvement at the youth soccer level and start identifying talent and bring them along? Yeah, yeah it is. It is about building a community at every level, the youth players that you mentioned, and also about the, the spectators. Um, it's, and this goes back to Josh and what he and Derek and a number of their colleagues uh, started with Brickyard Battalion back in the day. And it was before I got down there. And I'm credited with founding Indy 11, but it was uh, really Brickyard Battalion that planted the seeds for it uh, several years before I even got down there. Uh, yeah, I learned I that through there, this podcast, how the Brickyard Battalion is actually older than the club itself. Yeah. yeah I think by like three, I think 2009, they may have started. <laughs> and I didn't get down there till 2012. Uh, team played his first game in 2014. So that's kind of the timeline. But when I did go down there, Josh Mason was the first fan I connected with you know I, I met with Ursal and um, spent the day with Ursal uh, learning about his vision and and uh, actually looking at different venues on that day and uh, then at night um, I connected with Josh we had connected through Facebook earlier and we sat down at Chatham Tap and Fishers actually okay. we met up there because there's a U.S. national team friendly and uh, we just sat at the bar and watched the match for a few hours and um, got to know each other. And that, that's kind of the foundation of, of Indy 11. I think that's that community aspect you talk about. You know, a soccer team is not top down. It's not about the ownership, uh, at least in this country, where it's half mandated that it's a single individual with a net worth of X. Um, you know, in the rest of the world where there's fan ownership, yeah, then it can be ownership. But for this sport, I think to achieve its its potential, it's important that teams are built from the bottom up. And the Brickyard Battalion allowed that to happen uh, in, in India. And I, I think if anything, you know, my secret sauce is listening and and handing over influence uh, to the fans themselves because, you know, give the people what they want. 
And exactly. I've, I've, built, yeah. I've, I've helped build nine different pro soccer teams. I've, I've, I've run a couple others. And I like to think any success my teams have had have been because I've listened to the fans. They're not cookie cutter organizations. They're different. They each represent what their community is. Forward Madison is different from Indy 11, is different from Chicago Fire, is different from Chicago Red Stars, is different from Chicago House. And you know, I, I kind of guide them in a, in a direction that they want to be taken. Uh, and Indianapolis was special because, you know, along with Tom Dunmore, Molly Kruger, and uh, just a, a great staff, Mike Hen, Larry Lindy, some folks are still there in, in the staff, John Kaluter, uh, and Ursal, of course, instead of telling Indy what the team was going to be, we reached out and made partnerships. Um, I remember early on hearing from people that, you guys are everywhere. Indy 11 is everywhere. <laughs> we literally had a staff of 11 people. You know, we said, you know, that's why we're called Indy 11. We only had 11 people working on it. But what we did was we deputized dozens and dozens of organizations uh, to, to represent us, whether it's on a one-off basis with an event or on an ongoing basis through a partner, formal partnership. Um, you know, you know, one of my you know, favorites is the roller derby girls. It was at Naptown Rollers. Naptown Rollers, yeah. And I'm not even sure if, if Josh has kept that uh, partnership going. I hope he has because they're a wonderful partner. And they promoted us at their bouts. We promoted them at our games. We actually had the derby girls shooting T-shirt cannons at halftime, <laughs> passing out posters. And, and, and that's an example. The Indianapolis School of Ballet was another one. We did. I mean, getting arts and culture involved is another aspect of the community that isn't the soccer community. We just did a Bob Ross night like a month ago. Because that's of, wonderful. Because of that Muncie Muncie connection, and then it was funny. The they do a Cheers to Indy before each game, where somebody local or and it, you know comes out and raises a toast to Indy. And that evening was Owen Fon Williams, because he's a painter. So it was great to have him remote to do those types of things. But you are, I like your Chicago fire ring. Uh, but <laughs> but the, you're right that the community involvement is there. They belong, you know, the Brickyard Battalion, we do, they do work with IMS, uh, the, the team does. So they have like a checkered flag jerseys. And so there is a lot of, you see a lot of community involvement, which is yeah. really kind of nice to see. Yeah. yeah, and there's a bunch of lower division clubs around the country that do it particularly well. Uh, New Mexico United may be the best at it, frankly. They've they're really done a great job. Uh, but that's the key. I mean, you have to get people to care. And if the only incentive to care is because the price is right or uh, the soccer is good, not going to work because fans can get better soccer for less money by turning on their TV or opening up their laptop and watching Liverpool or whatever. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so there has to be reasons to care and that's generally local and it's uh, getting um, the, the, the personal touch with the example you gave with Jordan. I mean, when, when fans get to meet players uh, and get to know who they are, whether it's in person or virtually and really engage with the team, they're more likely to support them. Correct. And it's funny. We haven't had the best of years. Uh, this year has been a seesaw 
emotional roller coaster. But Saturday night against Lou City, um, that victory felt like we had just won the USL championship. Um, the crowd was ecstatic when we scored our goal. My son turned around, looked at me, and said, "Dad, it is never. I've never heard it this loud." But it's just good to hear that. And, and what was it? Why? Just because it was that rivalry. It wasn't so much. Yes, we're still fighting for our playoff lives, and mathematically, we still have the opportunity. But a lot of things have to fall into place. But the reality is. They went out and played. They went out and gave it their all. They understood the game, but the fans reciprocated that with showing up, you know, even though most people knew the season was over, uh, but we don't stop. And, and that's the beauty of, of this game with this team. I remember that reminded me of uh, 2014, our first season. Um, the team was not so successful on the field. Uh, we won a game in Edmonton, but we didn't win at home for a long, <laughs> long, long, long time. Yeah, that I believe it was the last home game of the year against Minnesota United when Minnesota United was still in the NASL. And we held on and won. And when we did, the fans erupted. In fact, they did a pitch invasion <laughs> out of the field. I mean, it's um, one of the most memorable moments of my time in Indianapolis. I think the miracle at the mic with uh, yeah. Amos Ayed scoring the hat trick to beat Carolina and clinching the spring championship of 2016 probably takes the cake yeah. on that one. But the Minnesota victory, you know, a random home win. There's some nice ones <laughs> out right there, there that you, and it's funny because Amon has been, and here, here goes back to that connection again. He's been on the podcast and he has been super accommodating to us to the point of any time I reach out, he's like, let's talk. So it, it goes back to that community involvement. And I don't know if you probably know where he's at now. He's at Northern Colorado Hailstorm as, mm -hmm. you know, technical director, and he's going to be the coach and good, good things are ahead of him. But yeah, it's that whole soccer community mentality that you said, Peter, that, yeah, it's the investment went it's the investment from a fan's perspective. You know, we love the Indy 11. Do or die, we're Indy 11. We're going to wear a red and blue. We're going to go to the games. We're going to support them. Win, lose, or draw. It's, it's the, it feels like family. Yeah, that's going to use that word. It does feel like family. And I still keep my connections in Indy. I talk to Ursal occasionally. And, um, you know, one of my best friends in the whole world is Tom Dunmore and his wife, Monica, and their family. Um, who was my uh, VP of marketing with uh, India 11. Um, you know, Peter Evans, you know, former yep. uh, head of Brickyard Battalion. And oh, actually, coincidentally, I honestly didn't have this with me for any reason other than I need as a sweat rag, but I've, I've got my... Um, <laughs> We wish you... My bandana. We wish yeah, that, you... Yeah, that's um, Peter <laughs> Evans' uh, India 11 supporters group. Um, you know, and mine and, and Thomas. Um, yeah, so uh, um, we, I, I married you know, Peter and, and uh, his wife, Abby, down in Indianapolis. So I, I wow. keep those connections. I, I was down for the Indy 11 home opener this year. Um, uh -huh. I'm, I'm still very uh, I'm close with Catherine, who's current Brickyard Battalion yep. uh, president. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a family. And, 
you know, that's important for a soccer team anywhere in the world. And anywhere in the world, you know, soccer teams, rep they're representative of their community. You know, that's yeah. why rivalries are so big because it's a representation of my part of the town versus your part of the town. town. It's a turf war, right? <laughs> you know, and it's funny because you say that whole that, that loose city indie thing. Before the match, the loose city folks would come up. They can tailgate. They can hang out. We can have a good time. But the minute the match starts, go away <laughs> for 90 minutes. We don't talk. We go after each other. But then after the match, Saturday night, they lost. But we're like, have a safe trip home. You guys need anything? Be careful. So exactly, because it is that this is my turf, my world. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of that, I always try to ask people, Ted Lasso fan? Yes, no. Yeah, but I haven't watched the all of the last episode. I'm, I'm like partway through the last episode. Um, I won't say I, anything then. I, I lost my wife's password on Apple TV, and I, 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 I I'll I, message you mine uh, later. No, <laughs> nah, yeah, nah, she's talking to me again, so I can. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm a Ted Lasso fan. No. I find it fascinating the two seasons how different they are in style, oh, stylistically. Oh. Yes, and they're both good. Um, yeah, year one was about soccer, right? Yep. And, soccer, and, and, and some guy from Kansas, some football coach comes over to destroy a Premier League soccer team and how the plot has twisted. Yeah. Yeah. And, and year two is more of a drama. Yeah. It's a yeah. great drama. It's well written, it's entertained, well acted, well performed, but it really isn't about the soccer. <laughs> yeah. I will tell you at the end of the last episode, you will probably look at the TV and scream. That's all I'm going to say. I know I did. I started going, you have, I, yeah. yeah. And I just left it at that. And I'm like, it was a great way to end the season too, because now it's like, okay, come on, season three, let's go. We're waiting. We got to get this thing going again because yeah, this, you're right. The whole second season is really soccer's a backdrop to everything that happens. Yeah. I mean, the Christmas episode was amazing. I, like a lot of people, <laughs> I, I, oh, was was cry, I was crying. I was bawling. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Roy, how Roy Kent has become what he has become is absolutely the transformation is funny. I mean, even when, you know, what is this, his niece in school and the teacher's like, she's got to stop, stop cussing. And he's like, well, fuck. And he's like, oh, because <laughs> it's such part of his vernacular. And it's just like, okay, you know, to him, it's, he says it constantly. And, and it is funny because if you understand the British culture, that word is thrown around like nothing. Versus in the U.S. where it's a whole different. Yeah. Yeah. It's not thrown around quite as easily. So, no, I'm glad you're I think anybody that touches soccer is, a, yeah, is Ted Lasso. So, I mean, what I found was interesting. Now, let's go back to the community based soccer, because here we are in Indy. Drew Connor has that connection from Indy 11. Now at Chicago House. He has been instrumental on social media, letting the world know about Chicago House. Um so that's that's also good to know. And you, and you go back to that whole market share and buying into the professional sports. And we've had this conversation that Indy will probably never get an MLS team. We, we've succumbed to that theory because Cincinnati and Chicago, the markets are close enough. That's the pain of being in Indianapolis. We'll never get a professional baseball team for the same reason. Um, we stole the football team from Baltimore and we have a basketball team. So you know, but we don't, I don't think we want an MLS team here with what we have with Indy 11 is special much to 
I think, and it may be safe saying this, we're probably the only team that was built from a social media page. When you look at the history of it, and that's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it really is. It's it's a better way to have a team, in my opinion, than just having a rich guy come in and writing a check for $400 million. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. Just my opinion, but that doesn't mean that Indy Eleven can't aspire to greater things uh, within USL. You know, I, I think. It, yeah, I think the new, the Indy Eleven Park, that whole complex is a great idea. Um, fans are getting restless, as you probably see on social media. Um, it is what it is. I mean, I've had my opinions, and I thought. They should have bought the old GM stamping plant across from the zoo. Perfect location on the river. You've got the backdrop of Lucas Oil in the, you know, the Indians victory field. You got the zoo. But who do, what do I know? I don't make those decisions. I just want them out of the mic into their own facility. So, yeah, it's the GM stamping plant is an interesting option. There's certainly some uh, benefits to it uh, for sure. One of the challenges of that site. And it, it kind of points to, I think, the bigger issue in the delay is the opportunity or ability to build a brick and mortar uh, at that site and get it utilized. Um, I got you, yeah. You know, it's a huge site, uh, the GM stamping plant site. And to, to fill that whole site at that location with a combination of retail, residential, commercial would be difficult because it's on the other side of the river. Um, I think there are sites or a site <laughs> on the east side of the river, closer to Lucas Oil Stadium, that might be better in size and have a, a lesser capacity to fill with brick and mortar. But I think the pandemic, frankly, yeah, that hurt. not just the pandemic, but the Amazonian, if that's a word, of, of, of civilization. Oh, that's a is, good way of is, putting is, it, but yeah. It's, it's making it more and more difficult uh, to make decisions on brick and mortar. You know, um, so maybe instead of more um, retail, maybe in commercial, maybe it's more residential, needs to go to be part of it. It's, it's a complicated equation uh, with serious ramifications when decisions are made. So you need to measure twice and cut once. Um, and the pandemic is certainly changing the equation there. Um, it's, it's not easy. I know Ursal has um, the best intentions uh, for the, the community and for the team and, and I'm sure for himself as well. Oh, yeah. He wants to be around financially to be able to make sure uh, it's succeeds. Well, um, I think that's, you, you just hit on something, Peter, that's, that's important. I think fans need to understand that it's easy for anybody to sit on the outside that doesn't have to write a check for millions of dollars and put their life earnings, life blood on the line to hope that it works so it's easy for the casual person to say just do it 
just announce something give us something yeah. where you're right with you the know of the world you're right it, it's very i think to be fair to fans though i think a little bit more transparency uh oh you lost me there uh, i think a little bit more transparency oh, there we go. would be appreciated by the fans and i'm sure there's limits on what yeah. the club can say or not say uh but I think when they went out and said there'll be an announcement by March, I think that was 2020. Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> so maybe it's 2021. Yeah, yeah. It's 2021, and then it didn't happen. That understandably frustrated a lot of fans, and 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 you know, there's as I said, legitimate reasons for delays, and right. I, I think it'd just be good to come out and Say to something. the extent they can. Throw us a it. bone. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Us, and yeah. fans have said that too. Look, okay, our season's tanked. Just throw us a bone. Keep us happy for a little bit. So I, but you know, yeah. I I get yeah. it. I mean, if there's no news, there's no news. But just come out and tell us, hey, look, there's no news, and this is the reason why. But I yeah. think the silence can be deafening at points, you know, at points to some people. So um, yeah, yeah. We're I probably- do think it's gonna for what's worth, I do think it'll happen someday. Uh and it, it'll be <laughs> great. And and um oftentimes, including this, probably uh uh, delays result in a better end product and a better yeah. location, et cetera. Yeah, because as much as I hate to say it and it pains me to say it, Lynn Stadium is a beautiful facility. Oh, yeah. It's uh, we could learn some lessons when we build our pitch. It's just we went yeah. down there and as a family and thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. And that that was just like, wow, USL, this nice stadium. You know, it's not a renovated baseball field or it's not a, you know, <laughs> multi-purpose track and field facility with awful pitch it's just you know it's yeah it's it's well, I, love, facility. I love the mic uh i love aspects of lucas oil uh but n- neither of them are ideal you know the challenge right. with the mic is that there's nowhere to hide in bad weather you know it's, right there's no concourse to speak of um there the track takes away some of the intimacy on the yeah, south the side of the yeah. venue uh so there there's some issues there uh lucas oil is too big for intimacy the scheduling's a problem um it's yeah. it's expensive oh, yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's not a perfect scenario and i think um Urshal and the club recognize that and, and they'll work to get it right i appreciate that um yeah, it's going back to the Lucas thing. You know, we went to a few games at Lucas and it was nice to be indoors in the nice climate controlled environment. But I would look at my wife and I'm like, this is not how you make it into MLS because if they come looking, the place looks empty. You got yeah. 10,000 fans at Lucas. That place looks empty because it's so cavernous inside. Yeah. The first game I promoted in Indianapolis was actually at Lucas Oil Stadium. It was Chelsea against Inter Milan and we had 40,000 fans. Oh yeah. And I will say that atmosphere <laughs> was pretty good. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah and, and it's funny, you know, use 40,000 soccer fans versus 65,000 football fans. I will take the 40,000 soccer fans just because all day, all day just because of the noise and, and you know, the chance and, and the, the, the unity of, of what soccer happens. I mean, you see it just about everywhere. A friend of mine that we had on the show, he got to go to, I want to say he went to one of the World Cups down in uh, Tennessee, the one in, was it Memphis? He went to Nashville. Nashville. I'm sorry, Nashville. And he said for 90 minutes, it was standing. Nobody sat down for 90 minutes. And I'm like, that's pretty incredible that, you know, you have that kind of fandom. Um, 
So as we start to wrap this up, Peter, is there anything you want to leave us with? You know, throw out your Twitter handle, your Facebook, your Chicago house. That's Chicago house is now your newest, latest and greatest, right? It is. It's exciting. In addition to being part of NISA and the open system with ambitions to grow to second division when NISA grows to second division and first division when NISA adds the top of the pyramid before the end of the decade. Um, we represent and have a mission of social justice, racial equality, diversity, inclusion, and working to make Chicago a better place. Um, you know, we're uh, committed to that diversity. We have one of the few black head coaches in America, uh, American soccer and CJ Brown. He's a Chicago fire legend and a, a great coach. We're very fortunate to have him. Uh, most of our players are actually from Chicagoland. You know, Chicago is a nice. talent rich community oh, and yeah. we're able to get a number of pros to move back from Europe or Australia or uh, throughout the U.S. to come back to Chicago to play in front of their hometown fans. So what Candace Parker did for Chicago Sky uh, last uh, week. And, and, you know, Drew Connor certainly hopes he'll be able to do that uh, for Chicago House someday. We're named after the genre of music, Chicago House, but also to honor the first HIV AIDS organization in Chicago, Chicago House, which oh. continues, you know, almost 40 years after its formation to serve Chicago's LGBTQ plus community. Um, so those are the messages I you know love people to you know leave this podcast with that um, Chicago House is, is doing good work in Chicago. We train in the city across from uh, a housing project and help the kids in the neighborhood. Our offices are in the Latino community of Pilsen. And um, we just keep working to make Chicago a better place for all. That's a that's that's awesome to hear. So that goes back to your philosophy of community. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, yeah, absolutely. So not, you know, that's that's absolutely incredible to hear. And is it chicagohouseac.com? It is. www.chicagohouseac.com. Right. Www uh, check us out there. We play at Deep Geek Stadium in Bridgeview, um, former home of the Chicago Fire. Beautiful 20,000 capacity stadium. Uh, just about uh 400 yards not even from the chicago border nice. <laughs> just west if, of chicago how about if we could put together an indy 11 chicago house ac friendly oh that'd be wonderful yeah yeah let's make yeah um, I'll, I'll i'll beat up the front happen. office i will beat up the front office i will email them like until they get sick of me and make me go straight to spam but i'm like look i talked to peter why don't we get this like have a friendly that would just be kind of cool because you know, you get Drew Connor to come back. Obviously, the fans are going to love that. But it would just be yeah. maybe start some type of unofficial rivalry part two. You know, you got to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, our starting forward is also a former Indy 11 player in Woj. Uh, okay. Wojtek, Wojtek. Uh, so we have a couple of Indy 11 connections there. And uh, we'd love to come down at some point and, and play. Josh, or even in the U.S. Open Cup. Josh, if you heard that, make it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> That'd be great, Scott. Thanks so much for the time today. No, really Peter, I appreciate your you. time, and I'd love to invite you back. And just you know, we'll just see how things go from here. But I don't know about you, but I sounded really good in these headphones. Mm -hmm.